If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to two passages this morning. Second uh, Samuel chapter 12, the first 14 verses, and then also uh, turn to Psalm 51. Just keep a finger there. As you turn, let me just also mention, uh, and perhaps it's good for you to know this as well, in the second service we're inviting three new couples into membership, Stephen and Margie Smith, Paul and Di Esther Eisen, and Neil and Lisa Burt. And if you know them, I do want to encourage you to, to reach out to them in the coffee break and encourage them and welcome them to the church family. And, and perhaps you know them, and perhaps uh, it would be good for us to just come alongside of them even as they commit themselves to to the church in the second service. Uh, so we're looking at two passages this morning, and you'll see why we're looking at both of them. Second uh, Samuel 12, really, we see David repent of his sin, and in Psalm 51, we see his heart as he repents of his sin. And so we th- thought it fit for us to consider both passages this morning, although my focus will be primarily upon Psalm 51. So let's look to God's Word. And ask that he would bless and lead us in it. This is God's word. Let's hear it. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There are two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had many, very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew grew up with him and with his children, it used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms and was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or her to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. He said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, The man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would also, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I'll raise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun for you did it secretly but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. Then turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 51. 
to the choir master a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgments. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with high and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin. Blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and behold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Early so far in the reading of God's word, may you reform our lives to its truth. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do want to echo the prayer of David in one of his psalms. Teach us your way, O Lord, that we would walk in your truth. We pray that you'd unite all our hearts to fear you. We ask this especially as we consider these two passages, as we consider our own sin. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Where will you turn to in your sin? Where will you turn to in your sin? When you've sinned against God, when you've gone down the downward spiral that we heard of last week, when you've had the joy of your salvation robbed of you because of your sin, where will you turn to? We need to realize that that's where David finds himself here. Here is the man after God's own heart, and he sinned against God. He's at the downward, he's at the bottom of that downward spiral, and the result is the joy of his salvation is gone. It appears that he's drowning under the flood of God's displeasure, and he's in anguish over his sin. Is that perhaps where you're? where you find yourself this morning. Despite hearing the message of last week, this week you've sinned again. Perhaps you've given into lust again. You've enjoyed pride and you've entertained anger in your heart. You've been envious, you've been greedy. 
You've deceived. Perhaps you've fed yourself thick on this world and it's all, it's entertainment. Perhaps you've neglected the duties that God has given you. Perhaps you're here this morning and you feel like David, you've backslidden. The joy that you once had, the closeness with God that you once confessed is gone. It seems like it's all been washed away by the flood of God's displeasure. His displeasure at your sin. The question for you and the question for all of us this morning is where will you turn to in your sin? As Thomas Brooks says, it's not falling into the water, but lying in the water that drowns. And so it's not falling into sin, but lying in sin that damns. If that's you this morning, if you've fallen down that downward spiral, if you're drowning in the displeasing waters of your sin, then you need, urgently need to come to this passage this morning. Because here we are shown where to you must turn in your sin, where you must turn to. And you must turn from your sin to God. Why? Why turn from your sin to God if you've just sinned against God? Because despite our many, many sins, God has not turned away from us. But He turns to sinners. That's what we see in 2 Samuel 12. Yeah, 2 Samuel 11 ends with these devastating words that David's sin displeased the Lord. But the very next verse tells us, the Lord sent Nathan. Think about that. After David turned against God, after David displeased God greatly, God does not turn away. No, God pursues David still. Why? Why? To, to bring conviction of sin. That's what you see in verse 1 to 12. And God does this through this parable of Nathan that, that reveals David's own sin, that, that saves him from self-deception. But God judges and condemns David's evil in verse 7 to 9. And all of that is followed up by, by God's, God's twofold punishment in verse 10 to 12. Now, why does God convict him? Why does God condemn him? Why does God pursue him and show him his sin and tell him that he will pay for his sin? Well, to lead him to repentance. Look at verse 13, the first part of his repentance is, is simple, but it's sincere. He acknowledges, I've sinned against God. That's why God convicts him of sin. That's why God warns him of his punishment, to bring him there. Why? ultimately to lead David to forgiveness. You see then verse 13 onwards. And Nathan said to David, almost quite shockingly, isn't it? The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. See, in this chapter, there is grace. Enduring grace. Long-suffering grace. Because here we see a God who turns to sinners. Dear friend, are you a sinner here this morning? Well, my job this morning is to tell you that God has not turned away from you. My job this morning is to tell you that God calls you to repent of your sin, to turn from it, to turn to Him. 
Why? So that you can be forgiven of your sins, your many, many evil sins, and so that your repentance would lead to your restoration. Uh, last Sunday was, was heavy for David. Uh, we criticized him in the morning as he sinned against God, and we criticized him even in the evening as we looked at Joseph. But this morning, I would suggest you, by God's grace, David is our teacher. And he teaches us all about repentance in Psalm 51. Psalm 51 has rightly been called the sinner's guide because it guides the sinner in how you ought to turn to God. Derek Kidner has even said, this psalm has shown generations of sinners the way home long after they thought themselves beyond saving. Perhaps that's you this morning. You feel like the prodigal son. You've, you've sinned against God Yet here's the psalm for you, beloved. In fact, you could argue that's David's whole point for the psalm. Verse 13, he tells us, I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. That's what David wants in the psalm. He's teaching us God's way, God's way of repentance, repentance that leads to restoration with God. And so if you're a sinner, again, Here's the psalm that you need to take to heart. Here is the repentance that God desires if you would return to Him and enjoy again the salvation that He offers. Now let me say, as we look at this particular psalm, I've been helped greatly by Sam Storms. He, he gives a five-point summary of, of true repentance. These five points I've often used in counseling and discipleship, and these five points are all over the psalm. And so I want you to see what true repentance looks like. The, the true repentance that, that you should desire of yourself as you come to this psalm, as you listen to David, as you listen to the sinner's guide this morning. The first thing I want you to see this morning is that with true repentance, there will be recognition. There will be a recognition of sin. For you to truly and sincerely repent of sin and return to God, you need to recognize that you've sinned against God. In verse 5, verse 1 to 2, David speaks of my transgressions, my iniquities, my sin, See, he's not trying to rationalize himself. He's not trying to deny his sin or defend himself. No, there's a sincere acknowledgement that his sin is his. In fact, in verse 3 to 5, we find a formal confession of David's sin. He says, for I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words, and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin, and my mother conceived me. Realize David recognized that he sinned. David recognized that he sinned primarily against God. Yes, he sinned against Bathsheba and, 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 and the nation. Yet primarily he sinned against God. He recognizes that he's a sinner by nature. His sin wasn't just accidental or incidental. By nature, he's been conceived in sin. And he recognizes, therefore, that he rightly deserves judgment. 
He, he rightly deserves to be cast away from God. Now, an important point to note from David's confession of sin here, and it's an essential point that we need to recognize that confession of sin is more than just an acknowledgement of sin. No, it's an agreement with God about our sin. It's agreeing with God about what God's Word says, that we are by nature sinners. And therefore, out of sync with God. As Paul would say in Ephesians 2, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are sons and daughters of disobedience, children of wrath, separated and alienated from God, without God and without hope. See, see, realize sin isn't just a social problem. It's not just a a, a horizontal problem between me and you. No, fundamentally it's it's a religious problem. It's a vertical problem between you and your God. And until you see that, until you recognize you've sinned against God and before God, there is no sincere and true repentance and therefore no restoration. Why? Well, if you think that sin is just incidental, if you think that it's just a social thing and and it's just a horizontal problem, then firstly, you will probably have a small view of sin. Secondly, you'll probably forsake harm. You won't forsake harmlessness because it doesn't hurt anyone. Or, or thirdly, you probably will only rely on your own strength to overcome that sin or even hide your sin. But if you realize what your sin is, that you are a sinner by nature, that your sin is religious, that it's a vertical problem, then therefore, firstly, you will see, see rightly that your sin is big and heinous. You'll see, secondly, that your sin is harmful, regardless of how small it is. And you'll see that your incentive against sin isn't to try and cover it, change it yourself, but to turn to God to deal with it. I think of the prophet Isaiah when he was confronted with God's glory. He saw himself for what he truly is, a sinner. Realize the recognition of sin is the means through which God draws sinners to himself so that they would repent and be restored. Dear friends, only when you recognize that you are a woeful sinner who has sinned against the living God, only then will you see God as a God who is in the business of calling sinners to himself. Did you recognize this morning your sin? Do you, are you honest about your sin? Have you come to see your sin as fundamentally opposed to God? See, true repentance requires a recognition of that. But secondly, I want you to see that true repentance also requires remorse. It requires remorse. For you to truly and sincerely repent, there needs to be sorrow and and remorse over your sin. Uh, Take note again of verse 1 and 2. David says, blot out my transgressions, i.e., blot out my proud defiance. Wash me from my iniquity. That iniquity means my, my twisted perversity. Cleanse me, he says, from my sin, from my failures. What we see is that David is not only defiled by his sin, but he's ashamed of it. 
He sees it for what it is and he wants to get rid of it. He even says in verse 3, my sin is ever before me. The idea there is this, that his sin is so painful in his sight, it's haunting him. It's distressing him, it's, it's shaming him. Even in verse 8 and 9, he longs to hear joy and gladness. He longs for his broken bones to rejoice. And the implication is, instead of being happy, he's miserable. He's weighed down by despair because of his sin. Even verse 11, he asks, cast me not away from your presence. Which seems to imply that he feels that he's on the verge of being abandoned. Perhaps he feels all alone with his filthy sin. He even says, verse 14, deliver me from my blood guiltiness. Which means he feels condemned by his guilt. Or, or verse 15, consider this, he cries out, O Lord, open my lips. Why? As Plummer says, because the, his lips have been shut by shame, grief, and horror. Kidner says he has been shamed to silence. Do you get the point? David not only has an intellectual recognition of his sin, but he has a heartfelt remorse over it. Emotionally, he's weighed down by his sin. He says in Psalm 38, verse 18, I confess my iniquity. I'm sorry for my sin. Another way to translate that is, I'm in anguish because of my sin. Dear friends, that's what true repentance requires. It requires shame and grief. And realize there is a reason to be ashamed of sin. Sin is inherently shameful. Shame has always been the fruit of sin. Remember Adam and Eve? When they sinned, what did they do? They hid themselves in their nakedness and their shame away from God. And until we feel that shame, until we have a sincere remorse over our sin, as vile and perverse, we won't turn from it. Listen to Thomas Vincent. He makes this observation. Grief for sin is needful in repentance because it furthers work in the heart into a willingness to leave sin. What he's saying is this. You won't leave sin until you delight in it. Or if you still delight in it. You won't abandon your sin if your affections are still finding pleasure in it. Only when you're horrified by your sin. Will you want to drop it and run? See, only when we are ashamed of sin and grieved by our sin will we turn to God for restoration. See, repentance requires remorse. Listen to Paul, 2 Corinthians 7.10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. It's quite interesting, actually, in, in that particular passage, uh, Paul is comparing godly grief versus worldly grief. Worldly grief is simply this, what theologians call attrition. It is sorrow and shame and guilt over sin because you've been caught. 
Godly grief, however, godly grief recognizes that you've sinned against God and there's shame and there's guilt because you know whom you've sinned against. Let's be honest, we're guilty of attrition, often often not contrition. We're often more concerned about getting caught than about sinning against God. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're like me and you're asking yourself, how do I grow more sincere in my remorse? Perhaps you're here this morning and you want to examine whether or not your remorse for sin is, is sincere, is legitimate. Well, the way to do both of those things is to set your sin again before God. To see that in your sin you have offended God's holiness You have offended his righteousness, his justice. You have in your sin trampled on his grace, his love, and his mercy. And perhaps you need to look again to the cross and see what it required to cleanse you of your sin. The Son of God shedding his blood for sinners. Set your sin before God and perhaps He may grant you a sincere sorrow and grief over sin that may lead to repentance and restoration. Be reminded, God desires this. He he, he wants this. Look at what Paul David says, verse 17. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And so, dear beloved, be broken. Be ashamed of your sin. Be wretched, mourn, weep, as James says. Why? Because God welcomes those who have been humbled by their sin. Take that shame, take that grief, and go to God. That leads me to the next aspect of repentance you need to see. True repentance requires not only a recognition of sin and remorse over sin, it requires request. You need, to, you need to plead with God if, if you are to truly repent. You need to earnestly turn to Him and request of Him to, to take this thing away from you. Again, you see this throughout the psalm, don't you? Notice all the requests that David makes. Verse 1, have mercy on me, O God. Blot out my transgressions. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop. Wash me. Verse 8, let me hear joy and gladness. Verse 9, hide your face from my sin. Blot out my iniquities. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart. Verse 11, cast me not away. Take not your spirit from me. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Uphold me. Verse 14, deliver me. Again and again, he turns to God. He's pleading with God. He's, he's, He's requesting of him. To intervene, to cleanse, to, to, to help. It's essential to true repentance is turning to God when we've sinned. And in David we see here that this turning is, is persistent. It's urgent. This is no once-off whimper. This is no fleeting prayer. This is a sustained and serious taking hold of God. It's saying to God, God, forgive me, cleanse me, remove this from me or I die. 
you see something of David's intensity in the, in the form of his request. Some of them are, are in the imperative form. He's, he's commanding God, cleanse me, renew me. Why is he so bold though? Why, why can David with such intensity command these things of God? Well, because of God's covenant love. Because of God's abundant mercy. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy. Deliver me from my blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. See, we can boldly approach God pleading for mercy because our God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And when we've fallen into sin, we need to remember that about our God. Don't listen to the flesh. Don't listen to the devil that will tell you, don't go to God. You sin against him. Now turn to God, appeal to His steadfast love. And again, realize this is, is vital for true repentance. If we fail to, to see God's steadfast love, then either we will, we will make peace with our sin and continue in it, or we will be so overwhelmed by the weight of our sins that it crushes us into despair. But the means to overcome your sin, the means to not be overwhelmed by it, is to see again God's love. To see His mercy. Listen to this quote by one commentator. Men are greatly terrified of their sins. But here is comfort. Our God has a multitude of mercies. If our sins be in number as the hairs of our head, God's mercy are as the stars of the heavens. And so as He is infinite God, so His mercies are infinite. Realize who God is, is the basis of all true repentance. Because He is holy, repentance is a necessity. But because He is loving and steadfast, repentance is a possibility. And so, dear friends, plead with God. Turn to Him. Ask Him to forgive you. Ask Him to cleanse you. Don't just make it one prayer. Earnestly seek it. For all his sin and unworthiness, David looked to God. And so in all our sin and unworthiness, let us follow His example. Let us plead with God. Let's be intense with these requests. See, true repentance requires recognition, remorse, and request. Fourthly, I want you to see that true repentance requires repudiation. Repudiation. For you to truly and sincerely repent of sin, you need to forsake your sin. You need to leave it behind. Realize you can see your sin as sin against God. You can even feel sorrowful about it. You can even seek God in prayer to remove it from you. But if you do not drop it and let go, your repentance is meaningless. Uh, a, Sunday school, a Sunday school story has often been shared of a teacher who asked the kids what repentance is and one little boy arrogantly said, it's being sorry for your sin. Another even more arrogant little girl said, no man, it's being sorry enough to quit. <laughs> <laughs> 
And that's right. It's being so sorrowful about your sin that you leave it behind, that you quit, that you, you stop playing with it. And we see this again throughout David's psalm. He wants it to remove from him. He wants nothing to do with it. Twice he says, blot out my transgressions, my iniquities. Twice he says, wash me thoroughly from my sin. Thrice he says, cleanse me from my sin. And what we learn here, for those who truly repent, they will make no provision for the flesh. They will resolve to not gratify its desires. And realize again, if, if there is not this resolve to repudiate sin, there is no sincere and true repentance. Let me ask you, beloved of God, what sin are you entertaining? What little sin are you keeping on the side, thinking it's harmless, it's not evil? What little besetting sin are you okay with? You know it's a sin, you know it's against God. You know you have remorse over it every now and then. You've prayed even for God to forgive you. But you still entertain it. You still pursue it. You still think of it. Realize that's not repentance that leads to life. True repentance will set itself against sin. It will repudiate all sin. It will be active and practical to, make, to take steps that sets boundaries so that sin and its lusts and its allurements will be avoided at all costs. Perhaps one way to think about this and one way to motivate you to leave your sin and motivate myself to leave my sin is this. Uh, Virgil, the Roman, po prof Roman poet, uh, ancient Roman poet, uh, he writes in one of his works of how Romans tortured their prisoners. They would take a prisoner and tie him foot to foot, hand to hand, face to face to a corpse. For the rest of that prisoner's miserable life, that prisoner was joined to a dead body and the result was that stench of that corpse would so consume them that they would get sick and die themselves. Realize dear friends that's what we do when we cling to our sin. We're tying ourselves to a dead corpse and the stench of sin and death will eventually take us. Put away the old man of sin Paul would say. Put to death sin. True repentance is not just a changing of thinking, knowing that it's sin, recognizing it's sin intellectually. It's not just changing a change in feeling where you now uh, don't delight in sin but have remorse over it, having an emotional response to it. No, true repentance also requires a change in living, repudiating every aspect of sin volitionally. Uh, that leads me to the last point this morning. With true repentance, there will be renewal. There will be renewal. If for you to truly repent, you need to, be, you need to have a desire for new obedience. A desire to be renewed in your walk with God in holiness. Uh, this comes out particularly in the second half of the psalm. In verse 10, David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. See, David wants to be renewed. He, he wants a life cleansed from sin. He wants a life that rejoices again in salvation. He wants a life that ultimately glorifies God. 
In fact, you see that in verse 10 to 15, in verse 10 to 12, David makes certain requests. He says, create in me a clean heart, renew me, cast me not away, take not your spirit away, restore me, uphold me, and then he makes a promise. Verse 13, then I'll teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. And he follows the same pattern in verse 14. He makes certain requests, deliver me from my blood guiltiness, and then he makes a promise. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. And again, verse 15, O Lord, open my lips and follows it with a promise. And my mouth will declare your praise. What's David doing? He's resolving himself. He's resolving himself to live for the Lord in renewed obedience. He's resolving himself to turn from transgressions and to seek righteousness. He's resolving himself to live a life now that, that again glorifies God and enjoys God. See, true repentance requires renewal. As we repent of our sins, we should desire not merely to be saved from our sin, but to be set apart for holiness. A holiness without which we cannot see God and enjoy God. And so there needs to be a desire to live a renewed life in the Lord. And as I conclude, I hope you've seen what true repentance is. As you've considered David's example, I hope you've seen what is required for us to be restored to God. And even as you sit here this morning, I would encourage, I would suggest you to examine your heart before God this morning. Have you recognized your sin? Have you recognized that you have indeed sinned against God? Your sin is no small thing. Is there remorse this morning about your sin? Is there sorrow? Is there a godly gift, not just because you fear being caught, but because you know you sinned against God before Him? Are you earnestly requesting God to remove this thing? Are you, are you urgent in this? Are you intense in pleading with Him to save you, to remove this? And are you taking active steps to avoid all sin? Is there a renewed resolve in your life to obey God and worship Him? I hope you examine yourself according to these five points, because if, I, if you do, I, I think you will find what I came to find. You'll come to find that you need God's grace. These five aspects of repentance aren't things that we can just muster up in the arm of our own strength. No, these are things that God and God alone needs to work. And He works it in us when we turn to Him. These are things that start with God's grace. After all, Acts 11 tells that God grants repentance that leads to life. Even in Psalm 51, verse 10, David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. You and you are right to me. I can't do this in my, by myself. See, there's a good reason the Westminster Catechism said that repentance unto life is a saving grace. It is God's work and beloved, the good news is, it's work that God loves to do. In fact, one theologian has said this, God will pardon a repented sinner quicker than a parent would snatch a child out of a fire. 
Now, how do I know that? How do I know that? Well, for one, we know passages like 2 Peter 3, 9 and Ezekiel 18 where we are reminded that God is patient toward all, that he doesn't wish that people would perish, but that they would reach repentance. But I know especially that God loves saving repentant sinners because of Jesus. Because of the cross, Jesus says this in Luke 5.32, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. God has sent His eternally begotten Son to live and die for sinners. He's come to give His life on the cross of Calvary for us so that we would reach repentance. So that we would see the vileness of our sin and turn to Him for cleansing. See, God loves to, to lead sinners to repentance. In fact, Luke 15 tells us there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. If that is true, dear friends, if that is true, beloved, would you not turn to God this morning in your sin? Would you not look to Him again? You may have fallen in the downward spiral of sin. You may have been drowning in the displeasing waters of your sin. But know this, there is a God who is turned toward you. Turned toward helpless sinners to save sinners. If you're drowning this morning, if you see nowhere out in your sin... Be reminded of what God says in Isaiah 55, 7. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. May the Lord help us this morning to repent, not just today, but every day. Let's pray. And as we pray, I want to share a prayer from the value of visions that I think summarizes this message well. Pray with me, won't you? Eternal Father, Thou art God beyond all thought, but I am vile, I am wretched, I am miserable, blind. My, my lips are ready to confess, but my heart is slow to feel, and my ways reluctant to amend. I bring my soul to Thee, break it, wound it, bind it, mold it, and mask to me sin's deformity that I may hate it, abhor it, and flee from it. My faculties have been a weapon of revolt against you. As a rebel, I've misused my strength and served the foul enemy of your kingdom. Give me grace to bewail my intense folly. Grant me to know the way of that the way of transgressions is hard, that evil paths are wretched paths that to depart from you is to lose all good. I've seen the purity and the beauty of thy perfect law, the happiness of those whose heart is in it, who, in it, in, who in it reigns, the calm dignity of the walk to which it calls, yet I daily violate it in its precepts. Thy loving spirit strives within me, brings me scripture warnings, speaks in startling providences, allures my secret whispers, Yet I choose the vices and desires to my own hurt, impiously resent, grieve, and provoke him. All these sins I mourn, 
I lament and for them I cry burden. Work in me more profound and abiding repentance. Give me the fullness of godly grief that trembles and fears yet ever trusts and loves, which is ever powerful and ever confident. Grant that through the tears of repentance I may see more clearly the brightness and the glories of the saving cross. Amen.